Welcome to the Yours in Marketing Podcast. Hey, it's Blake here. If this is the first time that you're joining us on the Yours in Marketing Podcast, do me a favor. Please go wherever you get your podcast, doesn't matter where, and please review, rate, subscribe to the podcast right now. Well, or after the episode, whichever works for you. We're really looking for your support so that we can build this and make it even more valuable for you. So please rate, review, and subscribe the Yours in Marketing podcast. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. On the show today, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Sujan Patel, who's also based here in Austin, Texas. He is the co-founder of Web Profits, Mailshake, and I think seven other companies. So he's got a lot going on, but he made time in his busy schedule for this podcast. We're very thankful. For those of you who don't know, Sujan is the cousin of Neil Patel, and he has 13 years of internet marketing experience. He's led the digital marketing strategy for companies like Salesforce, Mint, Intuit, and other Fortune 500s. So he really knows what he's talking about. But here's what's most important. Here's what you're going to learn from him in this episode. First and foremost, you're going to learn how to run nine different companies at once. You'll also learn the simple formula that makes a great cold email. We talk a lot about SEO as well. And finally, the most important thing, in my opinion, we dive deep into why Sujin tried to change his name to Batman. All right, without any further ado, let's get right into the interview. Cool. All right. Well, we're live and we're here with Sujan Patel, who is also here in Austin, Texas with me, but we weren't able to make it work for the in-person this time around, maybe next time. But how are you doing today? Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's let's start right there. Since we're both in Austin now, I just moved here only a month ago. So how long ago did you move here? I've been here for about four years now. And what prompted that move? Yeah, just for the heck of it. We really didn't have a... <laughs> didn't have a real reason. That's fantastic. I mean, there are a lot of people, you were from California before this, right? So yeah, yeah. I'm from uh, Southern California and then lived in the Bay area for a bit, but yeah, like kind of all parts of California there. And uh, yeah, I I call Austin like new California. (laughs) The Austin residents don't like it. The Austin natives don't like (laughs) it. Yeah. They hate it, don't they? Because everybody from California is moving here for the cheaper housing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat, but I'm much newer to this than you are for sure. So if you have any tips for me, please let me know. That will do. Yeah. Well, let's dive into it because so you've you've been in online marketing for well over a decade now. So I'm sure you've seen your fair share of stuff over the years. I want to ask you back in the day, what was your favorite black hat SEO tactic to use? Um, Dude, I've been in doing this stuff since white copy and white background white text on white background work so <laughs> meta description stuffing meta keywords was actually a, something right yeah so and those are all black hat stuff i mean yes. you know buying links buying like whole sites and redirecting them i've done all sorts of like seo yeah um, stuff you know showing browsers uh one thing and and users or showing bots one thing and, and users another <laughs> stuff like that now that was kind of acceptable, you know, sure. around that time. Now, yeah, for you know, sure. at some point, the, the the line of what's okay kind of kept moving. So I've never actually done any of the crazy black hat stuff. I, you know, my kind of theory on this is like, hey, stay above the line at all all times, and start stay far enough above it where if that line moves, you're still in the clear because it kept moving and it, it continues to get harder, right? So, did did you have a moment with any of your websites in the past where like the Panda update hit and all of a sudden everything just 
totally went to crap and you, everything you just had to regroup on the entire thing no not with any of our sites it was panda update was really good i ran an uh, seo agency at the time it came out so it was really good for us in terms of new business hmm. <laughs> uh, a lot of people needed help and you know uh, it was good and also like a challenge for the team of like how the hell do you fix this like yeah there wasn't a lot of stuff going on and i think now you know, there's still a lot more to SEO than, than meets the eye, but it's 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 not just technical elements that, that are the factor, right? I think there's a little bit more marketing. Like, it, it's just kind of getting all-encompassing everything, all things marketing. Yeah. Well, you kind of, you classify yourself a little bit as a data-driven marketer. So looking at SEO as it relates to data being a data-driven marketer, what are the habits that separate a data-driven marketer from the rest? What behaviors can the average marketer learn to become more data-driven? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the the big difference here is like when you look at, when you're data-driven, you're looking at metrics that indicate some form of impact and friction point. So what I mean by impact is like a lot of marketers, like I'm doing SEO, I'm going to think about like, I'm going to do the best damn job at SEO possible. But what if there's no search volume for the product or company you're marketing or there's not enough and or there's, more ROI if you focus on something else or another channel or engaging the customer in a different way, what have you. So when I look at data, I look at like what are the friction points of a customer's journey, like with an experience with a company product, and then also what are the greatest impact items I could personally work on or my team marketing people can work on and not just limiting it to a specific channel or because, hey, this is the thing I'm supposed to do. This is my job description. And, and it's really asking tough questions. It's looking under many different rocks. And again, having access not to just like anal- Google Analytics, but like if you're running a software company, it's like the churn metrics. It's looking at qualitative stuff, talking to customers, identifying things. You know, maybe there's, again, like an activation problem. Maybe there's a... There's, you know, again, different problems based off of um, kind of where you look. So I think it's like you use data to try to find marketing opportunities and also use data to prioritize the things you work on so that you're working on things that have the greatest impact. If you don't mind, I'd love to do like a little thought exercise with you about this. Because if you imagine you have a client that comes to you, for example, and says, we need to rank for X keyword, you look it up and you realize, oh, this has 10 monthly searches. They think it's going to be this big old product. And this is like their whole company, right? What do you recommend to them at that point if that specific keyword is the service that they need to focus on, but there's just no data to back that up? At what point, what do you do there? I think the first and foremost thing is you let them know that this is the case, right? Like, hey, there's no, you know, there's not proof or there's not enough information here that lets you like going after this keyword is not a good idea. You got to tell them, no, I think half my job in terms of client management was telling people, smart people, that their idea is dumb. The thing that they're tell- <laughs> they're, they want to do is, is not the right thing to do. And it's, it's not this case that like people are, are dumb. It's that they need, like most people aren't specializing in digital marketing right so they just need to be kind of updated to what actually can move the needle or what actually should be focused on and and i think like before any type of engagement we take on or you know any of that stuff i always try to focus on 
what are the things that would move the needle? Is is saying no to people, is that something that comes natural to you? Is that's easy for you to do? No, I, I really, I like, I'm a people pleaser in the sense, like I like to, I, I, it's really like emotionally challenging or like kind of frustrating to like have this quarrel or having to have a, to raise conflict. I'm, I like to, and naturally I try to avoid it, but yeah, so it's, it doesn't, def, it definitely doesn't come easy. I think that's something that most people are probably <laughs> pretty bad at. So how did you improve yourself in that area? Did it just take millions of different instances of having to say no? Or was there anything you did mentally that helped you to to improve on that habit? Yeah, I think the way maybe I improved on the habit is like I had I did it a bunch of times. Like I just said no a bunch of times and I just like kind of got people's reaction. I'm like, ah, that was pretty that didn't go well. That guy got pissed off and we didn't end up getting the result we need. They still said I didn't convince them to change their mind or any of that stuff. So that didn't work. What can we do differently? Like, and, and it just kind of kept like, it kept kind of coming back to different things. And, and, or sorry, I was trying to like, there's as a person whose job right now is to say, no, my job is to convince them what the right thing to do is. Mm-hmm. And if we're at odds, then no one's getting their way. And then ultimately no one's really getting their work done. Right. And, or like, sure. No, it's, it's not, no one's getting what they want. So and, and no results are happening because if I were to do it on a low search volume keyword, it would go after that. They wouldn't get results. They would spend money. And then if I were not to do that, they would be pissed off. Right. So sure. I, I think it's like, I just kept thinking about like, what are, well, how do I get this job done? How, how can this be done? And read books on it. You know, I think there's not a specific book, but just thinking through communication, conflict resolution, and also adjusting the approach. The biggest thing we've done is, is, over time for this is for our agency web profits over time just got smarter at onboarding clients and also our sales process so you know we look at analytics we look at all these details and we say okay well tell us what you want to do we're going to do our own assessment and come back to you with a plan you would want to hire us if our plan you agree with our plan and we can convince you that this is the right way to go i and i always just preface it saying like what you're going to get back may not be what you think you're going to get but my job is to get you the end result of the ROI so i just pre- i think what i learned is to present it differently from the beginning to avoid the conflict and let them know like there is going to be something different than what you want one thing that i guess i learned from what you just said is if you do have to say no it actually helps to be able to back it up by data like to to come with the solution in hand as well just saying mm-hmm. no for the sake of no doesn't accomplish a thing unless you actually have, you know, a solution to provide. You're not just saying no. And then that's the end of that. You say that won't work. Here's why, here's what we can do. That may actually ease the process of having to say no to people a little bit because you're coming with something more valuable. So maybe that can, that can help both parties. Yeah, absolutely. I want to shift gears with a weird question. I want to, I want to know, do you have a favorite superhero? Um, Batman. I have a Batman tattoo. You have a Batman tattoo? Yeah, that's, so I guess I had to take Batman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well, why'd you, well, first off, we'll start, I'll get into my, my other question later, but why did you get a Batman tattoo? Why Batman? Um, he has no superpowers, I mean, except for being rich as hell. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I just, I've always liked Batman growing up. One time I tried to change my name to Batman just to mess with people. <laughs> and that, I didn't end up get I like, the California 
whatever the name change jurisdiction is, they denied me because I didn't have a good enough reason. I wrote a whole like paper <laughs> on like a whole like letter to the to I forgot the name. This was like maybe 2012, 2013, I forgot the details, but like I wrote a whole letter, like a spiel on like why it's, I, I want to change my name to Batman. That's what you have to do to change your name. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, he, he just kind of does things the hard way. And, and um, you know, I think no superpowers. Like he, he wants to go fly a jet. He has to go figure out how to fly a jet. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think one of my friends always, he's like my friend, one of my friends always tells me like, you're, he's like, you're all you're doing in life is trying to be a real Batman. Uh, minus the whole saving people and having, you know, your parents are alive. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of what you're trying to do. Be rich as, be rich as hell and, you know, do crazy fun stuff, crazy dangerous stuff. And I guess adrenaline-esque stuff. Yeah. Well, your uh, like your LinkedIn banner is you skydiving. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, I've been, yeah, I do a lot of, <laughs> I, I don't anymore, but I did a bunch of skydiving uh, for like four or five years. I'm one of the few people who like, I kind of got bored of that. <laughs> Very I've never heard anybody say they got bored of that, but <laughs> well, the the reason I wanted to ask that is because every like every superhero has their origin story. So instead of just telling the whole story of your life, I want to know what your origin story is. Meaning, where did it start from you professionally, and what what are the key lessons that have stuck out to you from your life? So I mean, take as little or as much time as you want, but I'd love to hear kind of starting with getting out of college or whatever, you know, when you started professionally, what that path looked like for you and what you think are the key morals that have come out of it and what your principal values are now that you've experienced this so far. Yeah. So, um, origin story, let's see. I think, you know, my mom was an entrepreneur. My dad was in tech. So kind of merged the two of, of tech entrepreneur, I guess, Mm -hmm. grew up with the internet at like kind of in my teens, grew up working on computers and whatnot. So that was kind of my background. I n- never had like a, what I wanted to do in life. I know I never was like, I'm going to go save the world. I'm not going to go, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to do this or do that. And none of that ever kind of happened. But yeah, so I guess my, uh, but, but I do like problem solving. So I think the first thing was like, I learned one day uh, I got got excited about computer science. I went and taught myself visual basics over, over a weekend enough to kind of qualify for this class. I actually fast forward a few years. I was kind of, I optimized my fun throughout college. So I would figure out how to take classes and still go snowboarding (laughs) in the winter and how to go surfing in the summer. And so a lot of night classes, I guess when you go surfing in the morning or when you go snowboarding in the morning and you go go to school in the evening, you don't learn, right? You're just too tired. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think the, um, that was kind of what happened. And, and obviously reality gave me a big, nice smack in the face when I was going to school for a few years and obviously didn't have the grades to finish and, and all that stuff. And so I, I was like, what the hell do I do with my life? I never really had to think about making money. Same year, I also, same kind of time frame. I proposed to my girlfriend, my, my fiance then, my now wife, and so I was like, crap, I have to do something with my life. And, and that's kind of when I stumbled on internet marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my cousin, Neil Patel, was doing some internet marketing stuff at the time. And he's like, you got to check out this SEO thing. And I'm like, okay. Built an e-commerce website and throughout college. is just doing some passive income type stuff. And e-commerce at the time, like it wasn't like build a Shopify store. It was, 
and like go load your images and you got a platform. No, it's like you got to go get a shopping cart and you got to go build a bunch of like hard things and set it up with your inventory. Like it was, I spent like 10, 15 grand in college uh, of which half of it was coming from a loan. Some of it was coming from my dad. Some of it was like thousand dollars, two thousand dollars I saved up. I started an e-commerce business in college and it failed too. It was, I was able to generate traffic Mm-hmm. to it and i was able to it was a really awesome ten thousand dollar lesson that was like kind of my college i was like built a business spent money i didn't have it was like my someone else's money and also borrowed money and it was like how do i do this and, and i learned a lot about how not to do business but a lot about how to do seo and internet marketing and that there's an actual career here and so yeah that's kind of what got me into seo so that's kind of from there i joined an agency started doing some consulting on the side, learning, hustling, whatever. And um, that was kind of how I got started. And then my boss, my first boss, this job, Argus Interactive, was a badass. And I told the guy, I was like, I'm going to be like you. How long did it take you to get here where you are? And he's like, 10 years. I'm like, I'm going to do it in five. And that was 2006. And in 2009, I went and started my own digital marketing agency called Single Grain. And I was able to do where that guy was at my time in three, four years. It was actually like four years because I started working at the company in 2005. I just gave him, I said the ballsy thing. I wanted to do it in half the time in 2006. So, yeah. So up until this point, I guess, what are, I guess one of the key lessons would be that time when your e-commerce business failed. That would be one of the things that sticks out to you as one of the huge lessons. What? In terms of, do you have, are there any guiding principles that came out of that that every day or every you know every so often you think about that really drive you still? Yeah, I think. Look, I I, I jump two feet in into something I didn't know. I do that every single day, and what I've learned is like you end up kind of just figuring out a way to get through it. And you might lose some money, you might lose some things, it might hurt, scars, uh, but you can kind of get through it as long as you go forward. Two really is like do your research into things before you go into it, right? So I started my first agency, started the e-commerce business because I am like, I just was intrigued. I, that's kind of what I wanted to try. I didn't think about the total addressable market, the money I would make. I started the agency because I wanted to, I had a kind of a ceiling at what I was doing as, a, as an SEO um, of where I could see it. I'm like, okay, so I was making six figures as an SEO manager. And I'm like, well, how far can I go? Maybe make a little bit, you know, maybe make, 200k or something like that i'm like 300k like but that's it that's like the cap of my life and i was maybe 21 or 22 at the time so i was like is this all i can do so you know now i would say i look at total addressable market do i enjoy doing this is this a problem i'm gonna want to work on in five years and 10 years how do i do this without you know how do i build a team to help me do this what is it going to take to do this all these different things None of this, like, these are all like factors that I guess subconsciously or consciously like figured out through this initial lesson. So you dropped the name in there, your cousin, Neil. I want to know straight up, straight from you, who's better at SEO, you or him? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think um, I, I would say him, to be honest. The reason I say that is like SEO, it, it's always been about links. Mm-hmm. And the best way to get links is relationship. And the guy just has a lot more relationships than I do, right? Like he can go 
like think about it this way. I think one day we actually did this next to each other. We're like, how many links can you get right now? But like not working hard at it, just like pinging people you know. And they have to be relevant, right? And yeah. so the guy just has a Rolodex that's like deeper than mine. And, <laughs> and and not because so here's the kicker. I wouldn't say he's better at networking or better at building relationships or any of that stuff. He just started earlier. He just started working on things earlier. I saw Neil from when he first launched his agency to kind of crazy egg to kiss metrics, all these things and build his personal brand along the way. And search volume for his name is bigger than a lot of keywords you can go after. Right. Like if I just rank for Neil Patel, I can squat and get some business out of it. Right. Yeah. I have half keyword key phrase going for me. Right. So same life. Well, have you have you ever thought about like starting an agency called Neil Patel's cousin dot com? You know, I, I feel like the branding there is, is, is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. <laughs> other than you, other than Neil, then who else do you follow in the marketing sphere? Who's the brightest marketing mind out there that you follow that you really get a lot of value from? Look, I don't really follow many people specifically. I just read a ton, right? Like mm-hmm. I. I go on Growth Hackers. I look at the newsletter every week. I subscribe to like Founders Grid. I subscribe to Keith and Shaw's newsletter, really awesome newsletter on product. I read all the VC, like OpenView has a good newsletter. And I just follow all the links and like I just keep finding and digging until I kind of learned a lot more about something. So I just keep following the links like and references, right? And so that's how I find my information. I think. Some of the folks you've had on your podcast, like Tim Solio, uh, I think you've had Max Ashler on there and, and other folks. Like those are those are folks I would say are like really inspiring leaders and thought leaders. I read a lot of their stuff. I I, I talk to them a lot in mm-hmm. terms of just like, hey, I want to talk about, I want to figure out this problem. Uh, how do I solve it? Right. So uh, instead of trying to like, I, I kind of learn smarter. It's like I go and find. Let's say I'm trying to go find a new problem I know nothing about. What I will do is I'll go figure out. The first thing is, who knows something about that problem. And I'll just make a list. And sometimes it's the influencers, but it's the experts, but I think it's the experienced folks. And I will go and figure out all the base knowledge. So I'll find all the content I can read on it. Like maybe there's blog posts on it. Maybe there's like a, an ebook. Maybe there's books on it. Some, most of the time books aren't the like latest knowledge. So that, don't start with that. I usually use that for more fundamentals. And then I'll kind of learn enough to ask smart questions to the people that are really smart in the space. And I'll go and just ping them on email or I'll hunt them down. Uh, I'll pay for their time and just say, Hey, can I pick your brain for one hour? I'll pay you 300 bucks or 500 bucks, like one hour of your time. I'll ask intelligent questions. Here's the problem I'm trying to solve. I've done my research. I'm stuck. And generally I'll tell you that I don't need the whole hour. It's usually two or three questions. People don't charge me and not because I have a brand name, personal brand or anything like that. Generally people who write about marketing are passionate. Mm-hmm. And most of the time when I write, when I think about distilling my whole an hour conversation into a few questions that I would send first in an email, I solve my own damn problems. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so it forces me to condense the problem into the shortest possible way, right? I forgot who said this, but like if you, somebody said, a brilliant man or woman said like, you can't explain what you do or like your problem in a sentence or two you don't know it well enough, right? And I think it comes down to like just that exact thing. So so yeah, I think the a lot of times it's just being smart about how to find stuff out and research and, and dig in. That's a good tip. I've never actually heard about like 
just offering to pay somebody for their time. I mean, that seems so simple, but usually people are just reaching out on LinkedIn and saying, hey, you know, I need, I want your opinion on this. But to actually offer them something for their time, even though most of them probably won't even take it, that's an interesting, interesting tip. Yeah. It's pretty easy, right? Like you, you kind of, I think a lot of people do that. But here, the problem is people ask stupid questions, right? Like, yeah, for sure. Like they ask, you would ask like, your gut instinct is like, if you don't know anything about anything, you've pinged the guys who know stuff and you say, like, well, how do I do SEO? And it's like, wait, how do I do SEO? There must be some books on this, right? There must be like, <laughs> there must be stuff I can find out on my, by myself. And so, you know, my rule is like, don't ask things you can Google. <laughs> like if you can Google it, like don't ask it. Now, like you could Google, like let's say you have a stomach problem. You have stomach ache. You can Google stomach ache. But then there's like false information or like, you know, it's too vague of information. So then you do need to see a specialist. In this case, it'd be a doctor, right? And then they would tell you what to do, right? And that would correct your course of actions. I think at that point, it's help. It's, it's okay to go ask something, but like you kind of have to do some base research. Uh, that leads me to my next question then. So uh, how do you do SEO? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I noticed you've worked with some pretty big brands. So you've worked with like Salesforce and just like these huge companies. I want to know if there was one in particular that actually intimidated you to work with. Not really. I think the brands are big, but there's still people behind them, right? Like there's still, mm-hmm. I would say there's, people who I was intimidated by who were, or maybe like hard to work with. But yeah, I don't think it was anything specific to a brand. So I, I guess I understand that. It's, it's just like when you're working with a, a sales force, see, most people won't get to that point where they're actually able to do that. So how is that different from working with a client that, you know, most people might have like a small business or a mid-sized client versus working with Salesforce? What, how does that look different? I would say for the most part, it's not different. I think the reason is that like, okay, let's say they're Salesforce. They've got a big brand. They've got a big team, blah, 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 right? Like they have all these things. Well, their problems are also much, much harder that they're trying to solve, right? They like, they're not trying to go after some of the easier stuff. Like the things that would be hard for a small business, the equivalent is would be hard for Salesforce, right? So everyone's trying to keep going up and to the right, right? The problem is more difficult, but then they have more resources and a team to do it, right? I think what people mistake of large companies or big brands is that they've got some magic superpower <laughs> or like thing that got them there. And sometimes that's true in the sense that like Nike, right? They've just been at it for a long time. They've got brand yeah. equity, right? And that makes it easier. It opens doors. But Nike's problem versus Under Armour's problem is very different, right? So, so yeah, I guess like, it's not really different at, this, at the end of the day. In addition to working with all these brands, you've also built your own companies. So correct me if I'm wrong. If, if you're still not working with any of these, let me know. But you're, you're working on Ramp, Ramp um, Ventures, Mailshake, Web Profits, Norbert, and Pick. Is there anything else I'm missing? Oh, man. We have, I have nine companies. So yeah, you're probably missing a few. But I'm yeah, missing I mean, four we, then. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's write inbox, there's a couple others, but yeah, I mean, like I think the for the most part you got it. Yeah, I focus kind of some of my time on the agency, web profits, and then on ramp ventures properties. So that's kind of where I split my time. And everyone, everyone, their mom has told me to focus, but I always tell my kind of response is, "You don't even know my goal. How what? How do you know I'm not focused on my goal?" Like so, it's been uh, it's been fun. I, I truly enjoy what I do, and you know, I, I would say I would do this with 
for no money as well, just because it's it's a fun challenge. Well, what what is that big goal? Yeah, I think the one thing is just like I just like taking a so we buy and, and grow software companies pretty much SaaS companies. My like what's really fun to me is taking a company that's like struggling or has gone flat or like there's a problem and fixing it right like that's it that's the fun part right and then everything kind of comes around that like it's the the revenue kind of like more money everything all that stuff kind of comes from that and are you across all those nine companies are you the only common denominator amongst all of them or do you have other people that are on multiple companies as well with you yeah so my partner rob Bob Semoff does is my partner on Ramp Ventures, and then I've got another partner on Web Profits, Alex Leontis. So, got it. I like having business partners; they're they're great. You know, both of these guys are strong where I'm weak in different ways. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, I would say. And and again, like partners are, I would some of the I've leveled up so much from from working with folks. So, yeah, is there like. Do you have any advice for people that are juggling multiple ventures like you? Maybe they're not juggling nine of them, but maybe two or three. Uh, is there a proper way to juggle them so that you actually do have a- enough time for each? Because I'm just wondering how you're possibly doing this and you're still just a human being. Yeah, so good question. I would say hire, like, so first and foremost is focus on the biggest things that can move the needle, right? I think that's ultimately going to get people the most ROI. So what I do is I focus on like the three or four things that can move my uh, move the needle uh, mm-hmm. every single week. So I can look at a company it's like, what are the three, five things I can do to biggest impact on this business possible? And just go do those. If it doesn't move, like if it's not the biggest, three biggest things, it goes, it gets swiped under the rug. So, and we hire that way too. Like it's like, okay, we focus on, you know, there's extreme focus in the chaos uh, of like running multiple companies. So we just focus on the biggest things. We always have a customer first mentality of like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Like, how do we grow this? What do we expand? How do we, what's the best way to do this? Or we want to build a new product or like expand the service, like talk to customers, figure that out. Always have kind of a good focus on a good customer experience. Now at any given time, like we're still human. So maybe there's problems, but like, Generally, we have that mentality, which ultimately leads us to a better end result than if we were just like, okay, want to go grow this business. What's the best way to do it? What are all the things we can do to grow the business? Because what I found in marketing is generally it's like a handful of things that somebody's done that can that actually has truly grown a business. And in my case, I just focus on those things and ignore everything else. Laser focus. <laughs> And so for all those companies as well, it's my understanding that you have partners and employees that are actually not located in Austin, right? So you, you've got remote teams. Mm-hmm. So first off, how'd you come to the conclusion that that was a viable option for you? Um, I've done remote at multiple organizations in the past. Um, Single Rain became remote as we needed more. Uh, we were running out of places to hire people from and we were just kind of we, one of our employees, like, I got a friend in, in, in this area, like in Michigan. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. Let's talk to them. We've never done remote before, but we're talking to you. And yeah, I think that's kind of where it started. And yeah, and I was like, well, you know, we again, I've worked at a remote organization as well. So that's kind of the, the, the gist of, you know, how we came about to do remote. Nothing really too crazy about it. I sure, think yeah. when it comes to running a remote organization, it's different, right? Like Slack is our kind of water cooler. We have regular like weekly uh, meetings. You know, I 
one, either one-on-ones or team meetings. And, and we kind of get together maybe twice a year, different members, different companies, different teams, what have you. But like, it never really feels that we're not like, I feel like I know my team really well and they know me really well. Like core, when you know, someone's quirks and stuff like that. It's kind of, kind of makes it feel like the location is not an issue. Yeah. I'm, our company directive also, we, I work remote a ton and the main office is actually in Southern California and I'm here in Austin. So yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. Working remote is, it's a whole different animal. So do you have any, do you have any tips for employees that do work remote or teams that are entirely remote on how to promote effectiveness, given that those, it can be a little bit more difficult to communicate properly if you don't have experience in that? Yeah. So first thing is hire, if you're going to build a remote organization, hire people who have worked remotely before. If people haven't, it's like it's just too hard for people to learn it, and it's an expensive lesson because you're, you're just not gonna get it fast. So that's one thing. I think the other part of this is um, communication is very, very important. Like check-ins, right? So like one of our pet peeves or one of the things like our rules at Ramp Ventures is like if you're stuck on a problem or you have a you have a problem or you're stuck somewhere, like just post it. Just ask the question. Like there's no such thing as like being the dummy who doesn't know how to solve a problem. Like the reason being is like you can go down a rabbit hole and oversolve a problem really, really easily. And, or like go down again, a rabbit hole, like just not, not productive. So, and, and maybe you go and get the problem, you, you end up solving the problem. Let's just say you did. Well, that's great, but doesn't necessarily mean that you are like, what if somebody already solved that problem and all you had to do was just ask some, the right person? So, like, again, wasting time. Everybody has a KPI. Very, very important for all of us. I've got a KPI. It's more of a business business KPIs. You know, marketing guys, a KPI, sales team, customer support team. You know, their KPIs are more around, like, satisfaction ratings and NPS and um, response times and stuff like that. But yeah, everybody has a KPI. And so like, I don't need to check in on people. It's just it, it, the culture of just kind of bringing up problems as they occur. Love it. I would be remiss if I didn't give you a chance to talk about cold email, because that's what you're doing over at Mailshake, making cold email better. So I do have a scenario for you that I have seen multiple times myself. I'll log on okay. to LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn and I see people posting images of cold emails that they get. And they, they mark them up and they highlight them and they underline parts of, of the email. And then they go on this big old rant in their summary of their picture about how much they hate cold emails. So how do you respond to people that say, first off, that they just think it's the worst form of communication and other people just say it's not that bad, but it's kind of ineffective? Like how does – first, yeah, I mean, you can speak to how Mailshake solves that problem as well. But you personally, what would you say to that kind of person? Yeah, I mean, like, I think when it comes to cold emails, it's are you adding value to someone's life, right? So, you know, like, let's somebody, so we just hired, I would say like six months ago, we hired a customer success person, and then we hired another person shortly after that. So we have two people now at customer success uh, at Mailshake. A, a few customer success companies, like software companies, have cold emailed me and pitched me their software. And their pitch was like, hey, I see you're investing in. In, in customer success, great first step. If you want to do more, this is like one, two, three, four, like just random stuff. I forgot the pitch. There's a couple of different pitches. 
they remarketed to me on, on Facebook and all this stuff. Like that's a cold email, but I'm like, that's relevant to me. I am actually focusing on something. Cold, HubSpot five years ago, when I, before doing all this, I was the head of marketing at a company called oneiwork.com. When I joined, a salesperson at HubSpot pinged me and he's like, hey, congrats on the new job. I wanted to just check in to see if like HubSpot would be a fit for you at your platform. Like, I'm not sure what you're using, but like we should talk because I, I you know, I talked to a lot of business, uh, marketing leaders and I can give you some tips on like how to effectively start this new role. It must be hard absorbing a team. All that person did is freaking research. The mm-hmm. customer success people did their research. The research was just like somebody joined X company as title, which is again customer service, a customer success. Not much research needs to be done to be relevant. So I think there are good cold emails. It is effective. It's just get people at the right time. You know, you get, I think everybody hates direct mail, like spam, but like, you know, when you buy a house, your your information gets sell, sold uh, to a lot of different places. Like when you buy a house, you need all these things. You need homeowners insurance, lawn care. I, I'm saying this because in January I bought a house as well. And like, <laughs> I need to do like 15 things, right? Yeah. Like, crap, there's a lot of stuff. If somebody cold emailed me or sold me on like a pest control company, I would have listened to them because it's relevant to me, right? So I think it's really about being relevant, being smart and doing your research on like what is relevant and then adding value. Like the HubSpot guy, you never forget. Like the guy literally sat with me on the phone or, you know, chat with me on the phone about like challenges marketing leaders have faced. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like now all of a sudden he's not cold emailing me. He's telling me something I don't know. And he connected with me, another person, like a VP of marketing who joined an organization because uh, at that company, I, I took on managing eight person team. And so, yeah, it was just like, I, I've managed multiple people, but like uh, most of the time folks are hired. So it was, it was a different challenge. And, and so the sales, I mean, the, the HubSpot guy actually solved my problem. So I think there's effective ways to do it. What I think about cold email in general with people that do that, absolutely. There's a lot of horrible emails. You're, it's your right to like flame them on the internet. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I yeah. think most cold emails people write are really, really bad. You know, I think at MailShake, mo- people churn because the biggest reason people churn is that cold email didn't work for them. And the biggest reason cold email didn't work for them is a bad copy, right? And so we just started helping people, not just, but we what we started to do instead of all these different things and building our product, the most impactful thing was just helping people write better copy and not not get sucked into like the shitty cold or half-assing the work. Sure. Well, I, I obviously every industry is different. You know, every company could create a different email to a potential customer. But overall, is there a simple formula that you could kind of use to use like the bones of a cold email that would be successful? Yeah, I I like. There's lots of different like formulas. I like the short and sweet. Atten- it's the IDA, attention, interest, desire, action. So you get their attention. Usually a question is really good for getting someone's attention. Interest would be, I think then the next thing is you can introduce your, like what you do, right? Like, so, mm-hmm. hey, so, you know, if you're pitching a, a VP of marketing, HubSpot software, it's like, hey, how's your, how's your first week on the job, right? Assuming you're now, you're pitching them something relevant to their situation, and then it's then you go into the like, hey, have you explored this, that, the other? And then you you talk about the desire of like how that 
whatever HubSpot thing platform can help them with. And then there's the action, right? So I like that format because it's really simple. It also starts with the person that's receiving the email on the front line and it's value add. So I like to make sure my emails are value add and then really just bake around that. Again, action, keeping the call to action very, very, very simple is important. When I say simple, it doesn't mean like low friction always. It just means that the it should be very clear. Like it should be a yes or no. I want to do this. I don't want to do this. Doesn't need to be super complex. Cool. Well, I uh, I have some rapid fire questions from you, if you don't mind. Let's do it. I think this will be this will be good. It's it's gonna be hard though because they're a little bit introspective. Uh, they're, they're pretty deep. So, well, hopefully you can you can come up with a short sentence for these. We can keep this quick. But I'll start off with this one. So when you think of the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind? I think Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. Awesome. What What is something you believe that other people might think is insane? I think uh, you're either 100% or 0%. No, n- no gray area. No, like you're all you're all in, or you're like like you're doing it as much. You, you're into something as much as you can humanly be possible into something, or you're just not doing it at all. What's a common misconception about you? Uh, the focus, like I, I lack focus. Uh, I actually have extreme focus. I, um, I have, a, I have a goal. I want, you know, about $10 million cash in my pocket and I'm doing what I can to get there. What's your deepest regret in life this far? No, I think I don't have any regrets. I think, uh, try to make sure I live in the moment as well as aim for kind of what I want to get to. So I, I wouldn't say I have any regrets. All right. This is the last one. This is the most important one. If somebody was to make a movie of your life, what would what genre would it be, and who would play you in that movie? Um, I don't know who would play me, but it would definitely be a rom com, <laughs> um, and more on the comedy side. I just kind of like it. it's funny. <laughs> could could you give us like an equivalent of a movie that actually exists that you think would kind of fit the format of your life? No clue, man. I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that's a tough question for on the spot. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks, Sujin, for, for coming on. I want to give you a chance to talk about what you're working on, what's important to you right now, and what people should go and visit. Yeah. So I'm working on you know, Rap Ventures. I think the best thing is check out our site. We buy companies, rapventures.com. I blog a lot on sujinpatel.com, you know, really just sharing everything I learned the hard way, which is... Mm-hmm. Um, really, really gives me a lot of good perspective on stuff. So yeah, I think just, uh, check those two sites out and you know, that's kind of where I can keep you guys posted on like what I'm working on. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. We wish you all the best. Thank you. And that's it for today's episode. Again, if you're a first time listener or you've been at it since the beginning, please go ahead and rate review and subscribe. If you haven't already, wherever you get your podcast, we've got you covered anywhere you want. 